Welcome to The Dark Corner. Presented by Gentleman's Grindhouse Records. Hold me closer for this last moment Until you like you see when the shadows take over Brandy's back. What about my back? Brandy's front. It's much lovelier than the back. Brandy's sides. No, don't look at me from the side. That's horrifying. She's got one side, then the other side, then the inside, then the outside. Ew. Yes. This is what my girlfriend looks like without skin. (laughs) Some kind of wonderful. (laughs) That might come back later. (laughs) If I remember (laughs) to call back to it. I'm clicking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, guy. Yeah. Normally I would edit those out. Okay. There's a bunch of them for you to edit out. Welcome to Beavercast. <laughs> well, now I, we've I, annoyed the listener. I used to have beaver teeth. You I know. know, you poor deer. I have, well, actually, they weren't even beaver teeth because beaver teeth are at least... Two big front teeth together, and mine were not together. There's a big gap in between them, and I looked like a hillbilly. Your family is from Arkansas, so... Shut up! Okay. Only half my family's from Arkansas. Only half. The other, Idaho. Which is almost as hick. But opposite ends of the country. Yeah, it's like it's like the most hick northwestern state. I, yeah, Idaho. In the Union. And people think Montana, Wyoming. No! No, Montana, Idaho is Wyoming so hick. are so sparsely populated that you really can't consider them hick. They're more utilitarian, I guess. There's something functional about those two, but Idaho is populated enough with Boise mm-hmm. that I think it's a bit more hick. It's so hick. Really hick. Which is why I guess you get the white supremacists around mm. that area. Yay! Yay! Racism! Just north of us. Ooh. Good job. Well Utah's done. prettier. Yeah, it is. Yeah, than Idaho. This is true. All these things are true. All these things are true. All these statements are valid. Because what I told you was true from a certain point of view. <laughs> Thanks, Obi-Wan. <laughs> Jedi's are kind of a kind of dicks, aren't they? No, they like to no, manipulate no, no, no. people. No. Half lie to them. No. He did say that you're gonna find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view, and that is really very yep. true. Hey look, your dad's dead. Well he is. You know, in in the mind of ah. everyone, there was no more Anakin Skywalker. There was only Darth Vader. And it seems like it would be a poor choice to hide Skywalker on Tatooine if Anakin was from there. But why would he ever go back? True, because he does regard it as this remote dust ball in the middle of nowhere. That was where he was a slave. That was where he lost his mother. He would never go back there. Yeah, I tend to dismiss the prequels, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't give a fuck about yeah. the prequels. Yeah, I said it. I don't give a fuck about the prequels. I doubt few do. Well, there are a lot of people who do. Yeah, younger generation, because they kind of grew up with them. Not necessarily. Kind of geared more towards them as well. 
Well, not all of them, of course, but again, not everybody of our generation likes Star Wars. But I'm talking about the people of our generation who are like the people who go to Star Wars Celebration every other year. Yeah. And who are members of the Rebel Legion and the 501st. Yep. And the Mandalorian bounty hunters and stuff. Yeah. Those guys like the prequels. Oh, they mainline Star Wars, so it's just more of the stuff they love. Yeah. Even if it's not as high quality, it's still more Star Wars. And any more Star Wars is good Star Wars. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. It never felt like Star Wars to me. Nope. Ever. Didn't have the same spirit. Nope. Wow, that took a turn. Uh, banter over? Sure. What are we getting into? Some... Oh, God. My page flipped over. That's because we have air conditions. Obsessions. Obsessions. Do you hear this breath? It's an obsessive breath. Can you feel this beat? It's an obsessive heartbeat waiting to be joined with its obsession. I got back into Minecraft. Uh, They had an update, so there's more achievements available. So I'm going to have to build myself a wither, which is going to take some time. Weird. Because you're going to have to get four blocks of soul sand and then three white skeleton skulls. And those are hard to come by. I didn't know you could get skulls now. Wow. Certain monster mobs drop heads. Oh. There's a possibility of getting a creeper head. There's other heads available. I have never had any of my mobs drop heads. So far, I have one. It's kind of weird to say white head, but that's what it is. It's a white skull. And I had that drop a while back, and I just made a frame and put it in it (laughs) as a decoration. Yeah, you can trade a wither and then if you defeat it you get like another big ending kind of thing what so you have to build it and then fight it Uh and then kill it and then it gives you a bunch of experience and some kind of star that allows you to create a beacon which will be a beam of light that shoots up into the heavens and so you can put it somewhere and always be able to find that beacon wherever you are nice that's my theory anyway okay question is where I'm going to put it. I have a lighthouse, which would be fun to put it on. But I also have my giant tower in the sky. That would look awesome to put it on that one. But then that's so tall, it's nearly touching the sky already. True. So I don't know if a beacon would be that useful. I could put it on my ex-mansion. Mm-hmm. could put it on my castle. Yep. Which is where I was eventually going to go, is I designed a castle, Bod- Boddingham Castle. It's based on an actual castle, I suppose. You suppose? You don't know? It looked like it was an actual castle, but I was imaging mostly the floor plan, so I didn't actually see the castle that much. I guess I could look that up. And for fear of screwing up the recording... Oops, I'm looking that up on the wrong thing. You're going to look it up on your iPod that's not a Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, shut up! I think it's actually regarded as a manor house, but it looks like a freaking castle. Yeah, it was built in 1873 near East Grinstead, Sussex. Well, there you go. It's a moated grange, and I did build it with a moat, essentially building it out into a bay area. has a drawbridge going to it. Well done. has, like, six freaking levels or something ridiculous like that, because the two towers go up and up and up and up, and then they have flat tops to them. So, technically, those are kind of a level two. <laughs> right. It's it's a bit of a maze, though. You have to go to this staircase to get to that staircase to get to that room. But the near the towers is like I have ladders going up. That's Because I couldn't fit a spiral staircase in 
the limited space because you're dealing with the Minecraft blocks, so that takes up a lot of space in itself. Yeah. But it's nifty. I have a nice big great hall with an elevated ceiling. It's it's really very cool. Kitchen with a giant fireplace, and I made some uh, some cauldrons to hang over it like there are pots cooking. Cauldron. Yep. Cauldron. Several parlor rooms. A classroom. There's an actual classroom. You put a classroom in? It, there is a classroom on the map. Oh, all right. And then some guards' quarters, some servants' quarters, various bedrooms. Most of the bedrooms are in the towers. Seems kind of a risky place to sleep, because if anybody was to ever siege it, you're right there on the corner. That is weird. Yeah. Very, very weird. But I built it out of moss bricks. It's like stone bricks mixed with moss, so it has an eerie green hue to it. Yeah, you like to do things the hard way. Yeah. I made it more time-consuming, that's for sure, because instead of just cooking stone and turning that into bricks, I had to mix it up with some moss I was collecting. And then it has... These birch roofing tiles, so it has a nice orange contrast to the green. Yes, whereas I would have just built it out of cobblestone, because in the city texture pack, it looks like bricks anyway. Yeah, that's true. I, that's what, what the X Mansion's built out of. I just built it out of cobblestone. Mm-hmm. I didn't bother making actual stone or stone bricks. Yeah, but I am less ambitious than you were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I put a fountain in the courtyard. Sweet. Like I said I was gonna. Nice. So it looks really nice. Need to decorate it in time, but right now I'm hunting wither skeletons for their skulls. Right. Which is going to take a while because I think there's like a 2.5% chance of them dropping one. Oh, joy. And they're not that common of a of a monster. I'm not sure I've ever seen a wither skeleton in my own game. Yeah, because they're larger than your typical skeleton and they're black. Oh, God. And they carry a sword. That's horrifying. And if they touch you, they poison you. Son of a bitch. I do not want to come across one of those. Yeah. It's good if you have like a two block tall doorway you can hide behind because they can't follow you and they don't have ranged attacks. Yeah, but still. So you can fight them through a doorway, which is usually my method. Mm. Like, hey, over here. Yep. And then run away. <laughs> yeah. Wait for it to follow you. And then, ha, ha, And then whack. deal with the blazes that show up behind you and fire bur- bursts at you, shooting their fireballs at you. Oh, so they must only appear in the nether. Yeah, they're only in the nether. Well, that would be why That's I've never they seen spawn. one. You haven't built your nether yet? Well, I haven't found I Haven't got to your nether regions? <laughs> I haven't gotten to the, my nether regions, all right? <laughs> Okay. I, first, I have to have some diamonds, yo. Yeah, that's you true. You cannot just get to my nethers without having diamonds. Diamonds are tricky to find. Yes, they are. I can find redstone till the cows come home. So I like to mine to the bedrock and then dig around, and usually I'll find diamond that way. Yeah. Not a lot, but some. Not a redstone. Yeah, I just said that. Yeah. Tons of redstone coming out of my ears, not yeah. literally. And I don't build a lot of electronic things so i don't generally use redstone it's it's fun to make powered rails yeah there's that i haven't done that i have a lot of iron too and i have some gold as well but as it turns out you don't have to make powered rails just make a mine cart with a furnace in it and stick mm-hmm. coal in it or even charcoal yep yeah Did not nice know shortcuts that. so yeah i'm getting involved into minecraft again because yeah. i had finished my expansion and was like now what in fact, I'll build a castle. Because mm-hmm. I realized I could make it out of moss stone. And then realized, ooh, moss bricks, even better. And just by chance happened to build it next to another building of mine. 
which is next to yet another building. All my buildings are, like, on one side of the map. That's funny. <laughs> which is good, because if I fight the uh, the Wither, when it spawns, it creates a crater. It, like, blows what? up. That's crazy. And so I'd lose a lot of uh, whatever nearby buildings there would be, so I have to pick a remote place to fight it. So it's the annoyance of fighting a giant scary skeleton with a sword and the annoyance of it blowing up like a creeper. Yep. The wither has three heads and it shoots skulls at you. But it's slower than the dragon. Fucking god damn, that sounds so wrong. (laughs) Yep. I don't want to see one. (laughs) I don't. They are frightening looking. I know it's an 8-bit game, but I don't want to see one. Yeah, the dragon was hard enough to beat. Yeah, the dragon didn't scare me. Yeah. The dragon's like, oh, it's a dragon. Yep. But... It didn't scare me. (laughs) And all the white skeletons are scary enough, or wither skeletons. I'm confusing words now. I'm getting my terminology confused. Uh, How about you and obsessions? Well, I have a lot to choose from, but I'm going to go with one uh, that is um, Voltron Legendary Defender. Oh, yes. You're enjoying that series greatly. Oh, I, I finished it in less than a week. Damn. Well, there's 11 episodes. Granted, the first episode is like a two-parter made together, but it doesn't seem like a two-parter that was just squished together. So it's a it's an, over an hour long, whereas the episodes are normally 22 minutes. So it's like a pilot. Yeah. And uh, and a lot happens in that first episode I was not expecting. Mm. So yeah, it's a it's a reimagining of the Voltron story and uh, you know, we grew up with Voltron. And I enjoyed Voltron. The 80s animes were not the most well redubbed in this country. <laughs> no, they were not. Sometimes they'd change the story entirely. Oh, yeah. They'd change the story. They'd change the dialogue because it was mm-hmm. too adult. Well, guess what? Anime is not necessarily for children. You fucking morons. Yeah, Battle of the Planets is a perfect example. Oh, yeah. So different. But this one, this was a, a Netflix original series. Cool. They got some great voice actors to do this work. There is not a single bad voice in there. Cool. Tyler Labine is hunk, <laughs> which is perfect. And uh, Reese Darby is in there. I can't remember the name of his character to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> He's basically an advisor to uh, Princess Laura, who looks very different than the Super white, blonde-haired Princess Allura we knew, mm. which is fine by me. She looks alien. Yeah. You know, she's got white hair and very dark skin and elf ears, and she kicks ass. So she's not a coy princess <laughs> at all. She's I really like her. And, of course, you know, all of the characters are the same names, same type. Uh, <laughs> and they they paid homage to the original character design. Uh, Keith has a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> and he has called out on that on more than one occasion by Lance. <laughs> because, uh, and Lance just thinks he's God's gift to women. And he's an, he's an idiot. But he's, I mean, all of them have their own good points. And, and I have to tell you, when, when they found all those lions and they came together for the first time, I'm like, I'm going to get emotional here. <laughs> Form Voltron. It's nice because, for a lot of reasons, it's really well written. Yeah, I got the impression it was very similar to the last Avatar. You mean Avatar the Avatar, Last Airbender? Avatar Last Airbender, yeah, that thing. It has the same kind of, of tone, I guess. Uh, the same kind of... Uh, 
can be enjoyed by adults and children without dumbing it down for anybody. And uh, interesting and uh, scary and <laughs> really interesting ship designs. Everything is different. The castle now is a spaceship. That's pretty cool. <laughs> There's a lot of interesting changes that I have liked. I don't find it predictable. Well, I there are some things where I'm just like, oh yeah, don't trust those people. But um, it's I really enjoy all of it. the The actual design of the lions makes more sense now, and the lions themselves kick ass way more on their own than in the original series. <laughs> so they're not like wimpy little utility vehicles. No. Cool. No, they are way cooler. And so they can hold their own, just each one of them on their own. <laughs> so it's not at that point where it's like, why don't they just form Voltron at the start and deal with whatever? They had to learn how to form Voltron without knowing how to form Voltron. Because there is no instruction book. <laughs> Voltron has been in its separate pieces, the five lions scattered, for 10,000 years. I guess the warranty's over. Yeah, warranty's totally uh, elapsed on that. Each of the paladins, as they're called, has ah. a uh, weapon that also will interlock with their lion in certain cases to give their lion some extra thing that you didn't know they could do. It's like, oh. Like uh, a particle cannon or something. Yeah, something like that. Very much like that. So we've, of course, the sword. There's the sword. Chainsaw. Uh, no, there's no chainsaw. Okay. Yet. Yet. There is a giant heavy cannon. That's that's Hunk's weapon, and uh, but it's torpedo. The actual design is, you know, in the original series, it looked like all the lines were pretty much the same size. That is not true in this. Yeah, the, which is always weird because they'd have to do some shifting, mm -hmm. size shifting to make the chest. Yeah, well, and that's the and that's the thing. The black line is fucking huge. Of course, it would be. It is ginormous because yeah. it forms the torso and the torso head. and the head, and the. Um, Red and green lions are smaller because they are the arms. Right. And the blue and yellow ones are bigger because they're the legs and feet. So it makes sense how they all interlock together rather than, okay, this is not physically possible. <laughs> but, uh, and of course, there's 11 episodes currently on Netflix. I highly encourage everyone to watch them. Even if you don't know anything about Voltron, if you've ever seen Avatar The Last Airbender or Legend of Korra, or anything along that lines, you will enjoy this. So uh, I don't want to say anything else because spoilers, All but right. uh, season one does end on a very dramatic cliffhanger, and I'm like, son of a bitch, when are more episodes coming? When you watched the pilot, did it seem like it could be cut into three episodes? No, I didn't feel like that at all. Okay, because like, saying there's 11 episodes, usually like a season or a mid-season is 13. Mm -hmm. So I thought like if the first episode was actually three and one. That made sense. I suppose if you tried really hard, you could cut it into two episodes, but I'm glad that they didn't. Yeah. Because there's, well, there's exposition at the beginning that you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, how everything starts. It's it's not, I mean, once it gets going, it gets going, but it, it takes a little time to set that up. Well, you want to do a little bit of world building, though it's yeah. nice to start in action, but... You risk not having investment in the characters if all you're watching them is doing things. Mm -hmm. You want to find out who they are and then watch them do things. Yes. All thumbs up for Voltron Legendary Defender. Yeah, it's and very it, well received. It's got a full five-star rating mm -hmm. on uh, on Netflix. 
and everybody I know who has watched it has really enjoyed it. I watched like half the season in one go. Yeah, you couldn't stop. I I couldn't stop. I only stopped because I was falling asleep while watching it, and I didn't want to miss anything. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. News and reviews. Not that I have much. Uh, I thought of something. Okay. They have released more DLC for uh, Fallout 4. Oh, nice. Which is more things you can build in your settlements. That suits you just fine. Yeah. Well, they're they're gadgets. I have no idea what the gadgets are because I have not played Fallout 4 since it came out. I don't ah. have time. So I'm going to check those out tonight. Yeah, I'm thinking you have time tonight probably. Yeah. Oh, another thing that I hadn't thought of till just now. I picked up Far Cry 4 for a song. Yes, you did. On Amazon. Really enjoyed playing that. It's amazing. The environments will are mind-blowing. And sometimes it really stresses me out. So <laughs> I can't play it, like, all the time <laughs> for hours and hours and hours. You're better at survival horror and just survival games than I am because I do get nervous. And it, yeah. it is less entertaining for me. The worst one was still Dead Space. I still have not finished that because it stressed me out too much. I could not do it. Right. And even now, I don't think I could go back to it and finish it. I mean, I know how the first game ends, but I just thought I'm not having fun. I'm just scared out of my wits, which is difficult to do to me, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, extremely stressed out and tense, and my shoulders were hurting, and I was getting headaches, and I thought, this is not fun anymore. Um, but uh, Far Cry 4 is a different animal than that. I do die a lot, even on the easy level, because there is a learning curve. I find the gameplay to be somewhat similar to the Termi Terminator, the Tomb Raider reboot. Yeah, there's a similar kind of gameplay and aesthetic, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I The world is far more open in right. Far Cry 4. Far understand, what was it, Far Cry 3, where people had to upgrade their computers? Oh, I did not know that. Because the graphics engine was so comprehensive that people's... Uh, their graphics cards couldn't handle it. Yeah, their, yeah that's exactly it. And their it. processors. Yep. Well, I can understand that. This is only a game that could be played on a next-gen system. And it is beautiful on the PlayStation 4. And uh, I got it for like 15 bucks. Sweet! Now I'm getting emails from them. Hey, get the season pass. I'm like, I don't want to do multiplayer. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I want to play by myself. Thank you. Oh, speaking of video games, that Pokemon Go is certainly all over Facebook. Oh, my God. Okay, look. Makers of Pokemon Go, how could you not anticipate the demand of a worldwide free <laughs> Pokemon catching game available on iOS and Android? Worldwide at the same day, on the same day. How could you not anticipate that millions, if not a billion people, would suddenly crash your server? Well, especially when it's an enhanced reality game. So yeah. you can go out with your phone, use your camera to find Pokemon and catch them. And... Oh, it's you have the option to... Because, I mean, when you're, when you're looking for Pokemon, it, it basically puts up a, a map of where you are at that time. Right. 
And then you can see in the distance, like, Pokemon stops and stuff like that, where you can get more Pokeballs and things uh-huh. like that. And uh, you will have your character, you know, like, walking as you're walking. And uh, and then when a Pokemon shows up, you have the option to use your camera to actually see that Pokemon in the real world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I caught a Pokemon on my printer at work. Wow. <laughs> Do not tell my boss that. <laughs> <laughs> It's an interesting concept, poorly executed, because seriously, if you are going to release it worldwide, and you are going to make these Pokemon available worldwide, fucking have enough servers, goddammit! According to all the Facebook posts I've seen, several weird things have happened, like somebody playing it discovered a dead body. Oh my god. Because the Pokemon was in the river area. You know, probably a water Pokemon, and mm-hmm. go to a river and find a dead body there. Uh, apparently, our nearby National Guard station has a Pokemon gym there. I wouldn't doubt it. And several Pokestops. So it's kind of a nice exclusive area for anybody who has it there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that there are teams you can join. Their different teams will battle each other for controls of gyms and stuff like that. I don't actually have that much interest in that. Yeah, the competitive aspect of it doesn't interest me. No. I just want to catch them all. Yeah. But But then how do you train them? Experience points and stuff. Yeah, it seems like you'd only get that through battling other players. Well, you get experience from just catching the Pokemon. Oh, nice. But when you're catching the Pokemon, you're not battling them with another Pokemon. You're just throwing Pokeballs at them. Okay. Such so so cruel. Pokemon's just a cruel cartoon when you consider it. He's taking this little ball, trapping these poor little monsters, and forcing them to fight one another for your entertainment. Sounds pretty sick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Depends on the kind of trainer that you are. Especially when Pikachu refuses to go in a Pokeball. Mm, It's like, well, because it's unpleasant. I haven't played it that much because every time I try, the servers are down. Mm -hmm. And I get kicked out. So that's why I only have three Pokemon. (laughs) Three more than I do because I haven't even downloaded it yet. And I'm not even sure I will. I don't know. I have a Bulbasaur and I have a Mankey and I have, my God, what's the other one? It's a bird one. I can't remember what it is. Brain dead. Bulbasaur. 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 I was, I was trying to catch the Charizard, and it would not let me. Mm. I kept throwing Pokeballs at it, and none of them would hit right. I'm like, I don't understand. You have not explained this to me. Yep. And if you did, I missed it. So It's like 90s are back with the vengeance, man. Yes, indeed. I do enjoy the Pokemon games. I find them fun little RPGs. You, you long have. I mean, back yeah. from the Game Boy days. Yeah, back from like the... Game Boy Advance. Before the Game Boy Color? Oh, yeah. Even Before the, the Game Boy Color. Ni- Nintendo 64 Pokemon game. Yeah, like the the original Game Boy. I had an original Game Boy. Yeah. And that was when I had my first Pokemon game. And then there was Game Boy Color. Ooh, that was exciting. And then there was Game Boy Advance. Oh, my God. Oh, my and, God. And then there was Game Boy 3DS. And on and on and on. Well, excuse me, Game Boy DS and Game Boy 3DS and 2DS for the people who don't like 3DS, even though you should still get a 3DS because you can turn the 3D part off. Come on. So, and then 3DS XL. It kills me that it's free. Yeah. Well, it says that there are in-app purchases, and I don't know what those in-app purchases are yet. Probably more Pokeballs or ways to gain levels. Just shortcuts. That's usually what, Mm -hmm. or if you want to buy a rare Pokemon, there's probably that option. Yeah. Well, I do know that there is no way to get them all unless you are a world traveler. I've heard of people doing that. 
Well, if you can afford to do that, good for you. Yeah. I cannot. So. Yeah, I don't go many places. I'm kind of a homebody, so. Well, even if I wanted to go many places, that requires time off from work, which means I don't get paid. So, yeah, therein lies the conundrum. Well, for being a free game, I guess you get what you get. You know, get what you pay for, I suppose. It's kind of funny how people of literally all ages. <laughs> yeah, it's all over my Facebook feed. It's, it's everybody's all over everywhere. posting them, catching Pokemon here and there. Yeah, it's everywhere. Uh, let's see what else with news and reviews. I've been listening to another podcast because that's my thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's do a lot of podcasts at work, and I've kind of been on this kick with the thrilling adventure hour people. Oh yes. So I've been listening to the JV Club with Janet, Janet Varney. Varney. I love Janet Varney, also the voice of Cora in Legend of Cora. Yes, and she must have just gotten that job around the time she started the podcast. Mm. Because a few episodes in, she talks about, you know, her fans from that. And that it might be a different show than what they're they're expecting, you know. Because she gets some of her actress and other entertainer friends on to talk about their high school and college experience. And it's really not that work-related, though sometimes she'll talk about working with people because, you know, they've been on the show together. Indeed. Like, there's a show called Burning Love, which is like a parody of The Bachelor that Janet Varney was on with some people and right. talking to them about it. But apparently she was a goth back in her high school days. Which she was even listening to Skinny Puppy. Makes me love her even more. Yeah. The Cure, The Smiths. I love her laugh. Yeah, she's got this really hearty guffaw. It's delightful. And she's like you. She's a very sensitive person. She'll cry at the drop of a hat. Yes, I actually picked that up in one of the behind-the-scenes podcast they did for Thrilling Adventure Hour that she was on. Yes. I just thought, you are a highly sensitive person. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. I know how you feel. I am that person, too. She wasn't one of the original players. No. And then they added her to the regular work juice players and they didn't tell her beforehand yeah. like, and i thought that the, it felt like they had put a tiara on my head <laughs> <laughs> so they just named her when they rattled off the names of all the players mm-hmm. janet vardy and she's like Ooh. she's adorable i love her to pieces she could play amy adams sister in something very yes. easily she's got those gigantic eyes oh yes red hair and top-notch improviser absolutely and Really fun interviewer, though she she's very talkative. So if you're accustomed to interview-type programs where the interviewer doesn't say a whole lot, it's uh, in her case, she talks just about as much as her guest does, which I don't mind. Well, I'm used to that with Paul F. Tompkins. Yeah, Jackie Cation does that a bit, too. Yeah. And I like that. I like it where there's a balance. There should be a balance. And uh, lady-to-lady ladies are like that as well. Lady-to-lady ladies. Yeah. So I listen to a lot of lady-hosted podcasts. <laughs> and there is nothing wrong with no, that. No, I like funny women. Mm-hmm. That's what partly attracted me to you. <laughs> You're a funny woman. <laughs> you mean funny as in ha-ha or funny as in... That girl's kind of funny. <laughs> am I a clown to you? <laughs> am, I, am I a clown to you? You talking to me? Funny because you, you make me. me laugh. Okay. <laughs> you surprise me. Every once in a while just guffawing. I find it incredible that I ever surprise you. Yes. So thank you. Every once in a while I say something like, yeah, that was funny. (laughs) So yes, the JV Club with Janet Varney. I'm just about 10 episodes in, something like that. Right. Fun. Yeah, it surprised me when she talked about listening to Skinny Puppy. 
she's like, oh, yeah, I like the softer stuff, but then I was listening to more angry stuff, like Skinny Puppy and Ministry. It's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, and then you tweeted to her, and she liked your tweet. Oh, I forgot about that. How I, could you forget about that? That was two days ago. Yeah, I was going to mention that, and then it just left my mind. But, yeah, I said shout-out to the Skinny Puppy reference. That was my high school soundtrack as well. And she liked that that tweet. She no knows, next she to knows it. you exist. Yeah. That is an amazing thing. And Janet Varney knows you exist. Yeah, and she's touched by uh, by listeners, and they refer to music a lot. Uh, it's a typical question she asks is what music people were into or how they were introduced to music. I would have such a difficult time answering that. <laughs> well, we go through stages. I went through stages. I know, but it's just there are so many things. Yeah, there's doo-wop, there's soundtracks, there's metal, punk. Broadway shows. Post-punk. Industrial, symphonic EBM, metal, yeah, etc. Yeah. Future pop. I find Janet Varney delightful. She is a delightful lady. Yes. How about your review, or do you have anything else to talk about? Um, you think you covered it all? Give me a second. I'm trying to remember. I wrote things down. <laughs> Look back at the book um, in case we skipped over something. Oh, you were supposed to talk about practicing the bass. Oh, I'm back to practicing the bass. On Rocksmith, there's a thing called Master Mode, which makes notes disappear after a while if you've been playing well. Oh. So you can't follow, like, the rhythm-based game that much anymore, because basically it's Guitar Hero with an actual guitar. Indeed. And so I've been getting over 100% mastery on a few songs by doing that. Sweet. I just did a Muse song today. <gasps> and it's one of those that's super rapid bass line, but it's played fingered because their bass player... Plays fingers. is amazing. He's unreal. It's like just strumming with all fingers because, holy crap, I managed to get a song to 102% that way, even though the ending is of that particular track is pretty tricky. Which song is it? I need to look up again. I uh, shared it to Facebook, so I'm going to have to look at my Facebook feed and tell you. Ah, it was Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, I got it at 102% exactly. Good deal. Because I'm playing stuff in drop D right now. Because I generally don't do that. I usually play it in the standard E. Because it's just easier not to bother with tuning the guitar. It's like, I haven't played these songs for a while, so... I also played Renegades of Funk by uh, Rage Against the Machine. And that's a really fun bass line. Mm-hmm. That's a really easy one, too. Right. Okay, well, I guess I have to talk about this now. So, unfortunately, (laughs) Dave mentioned in the last podcast that the reason I wasn't on it was because I was at callbacks for Nonsense, the musical, at Ziegfeld Theater. I killed it and still did not get chosen. So, that leaves me wondering, what the fuck am I doing? With my time, because even when I am phenomenal, as one person connected with the process said, not someone who was auditioning with me, but someone on the other side of the table. Yes. Um, that didn't seem to matter. And, uh, you know, there's Fairly Potter Christmas Carol coming up again this Christmas. I would like to reprise my role as Professor Trelawney. But uh, they are not going to do things that way. They are going to have open auditions again because it's going to be a different director this time. <sighs> so there is, uh, there's no guarantee that I will get to play that role again. Uh, of course, I will audition. But, uh, you know, they could find someone they like better. And I'm going to be honest, if that happens, I'm done. 
I'm not going to continue to hurt myself over this. You thought of something else to discuss as well. I did. Um, we took our sweet time doing this, but we finally watched the rest of the final season of Castle. Yeah, I felt rushed for sure, but I guess that's because they decided no more. Well, one person decided no more. <laughs> Everybody knew that Stana Kotick was leaving at the end of this season, um, apparently from a feud she was having with Nathan Fillion. And if that is true, it is her fault. It's her fault because everybody loves Nathan Fillion. Everybody he, loves working with Nathan Fillion. So what's her deal? One of the most amiable people. Because that on makes the it planet. sound like she's difficult to work with. Yeah. Which makes me wonder if she's going to find work elsewhere. Well, she'll never have what she had with Castle. She's going to no. find out that that opportunities like that are very few and far between. And as far as the talent there, I mean, she's okay. They could have done the show without her. Yes, yeah, Ryan and Esposito. I think outshone her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she became far less interesting as the years wore on. Yeah, Castle's family. Maybe that's part of it too, as she didn't like the direction the show was taking. But if, it, but from what it sounds like, from what you say, is that she just did not like working with Nathan. Well, I don't know what the true story is, and we may never know. Yeah. Um, but most sources have said that it's because of something. Between her and Nathan Fillion. Mm-hmm. But you know what? The show's called Castle. Yes. It's not called Beckett. No. And honestly, they could have killed her off and the show would have survived. Yes. They, the basis of the show is that she's his muse. And so he starts the Nikki Heat series. But if she did happen to die, he could start a different series. Well, not only that, but he now has the whole private eye thing that yep. he's doing. And he was still helping out at the precinct. And that's something that he could have continued with Ryan and Esposito, who were far more interesting characters than Beckett by the end. <laughs> Speaking of, Jackie Cation on a dork forest recently talked to an actual private eye who was so annoyed when Castle just started up his own private agency. Oh, his private eye agency. It's like, oh, that's all it takes, huh? You're a famous writer, and you just start your own agency. <laughs> well, yeah, because he has the money to do that shit. Yeah, well, also, he didn't work with the police, mm -hmm. so he For does have years, experience. He does have experience in actual detective work. Yep. So, sorry, guy who's an actual private eye. Uh, but so, it's actually a lady. <laughs> sorry, gal. Oh, my God, I'm a sexist. <laughs> and her main thing was just delivering summons to people. Mm -hmm. That was, like, the main thing she'd do. I'm just saying, there's lots of different private eyes in the world. Yep. And... Yeah, investigating murders is one of the rarest things private detectives do. Most of, of it is infidelity and legal oh, yeah. stuff. It's taking pictures of cheaters. Yeah. That's what a lot of them do. That is actually made very clear in Jessica Jones. <laughs> yep. I thought that would be a fun way to go, but they didn't explore it all that often. No. They just had him at his office, but they didn't really have him have clients that often. I mean, every well, once in a while. That's because he was finally allowed to go back to the precinct right. and help. And so that became a secondary thing for him. Yeah, it felt again. like the writers kept painting themselves into corners. The final episode was rushed. Um, it was all right. It was okay. The ending was weird. The ending was weird. It's and like they didn't know which direction to take, so they did both. Yeah, it's like, okay, you're killing them off, but they're not dead. And yeah. here they are in the future with little children. Here's a tragic ending where they both get shot, but they survived and have kids. And you're like, that's a weird tone to strike. Well, and, and something that really annoys me is that the guy who shot them both was supposedly burned to death in the trunk of a car. Yes. Now... 
I understand how burning a body can destroy certain evidence, but it is very difficult to plant someone's DNA in a burned body. Yeah. It's just, it makes no sense that they could be sure that that was this guy's body because of the DNA they found. It's a major plot hole. A big plot hole. Big plot hole. That that actually makes forensics people look stupid. Yes. And p- forensics people are not stupid. Especially in a series that's very much about that. That was just a huge mistake for me. And I'm like, okay, no. Yeah. Just no. I mean, because even with a body that's been burned, there's still way to match dental records and all of that. You know, because burning does not destroy bone at that temperature. You have to get it really super hot to destroy bone. <laughs> and what are teeth? Teeth are bone. I struggled with this series from time to time anyway, especially when any of them got kidnapped, because that would happen often. Mm-hmm. It was just starting to get dull after a while. It's like, oh, oh, they're kidnapped again. Yeah, there are certain things that, like, you should know better than this by now. (laughs) It's just like, oh, you're following that formula again. Okay. Well, there were some times where the writers made it very soap opera-y. Yeah. And we have discussed that in the past. Like when the ex-wives come back. Well, not actually, I found that amusing more than anything okay. else. Because I thought you were annoyed by the first time they did it. Yeah, well, well, I was, but then I understood what they were doing. Yeah. And it was really less about Castle and more about Alexis. Yes. Especially with the second one. Right, because she'd take her out of school. And, and she's like, like no, hey. you don't get to just take me out of school. I have a test tomorrow. <laughs> to go shopping. It's like, yeah. this is my education. This is my future. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to just go be your girlfriend. Go shopping with you. So I am terribly disappointed that there will not be regular Nathan Fillion on my television. Makes you wonder what he'll be doing next. Oh, after this, I think he can do quite well. Because you know, up until Castle, he had been on a lot of series that never lasted a full season. Drive or barely lasted. Whatever that was called. Was it called Drive? It was called. I think it was called Drive. Yeah, because it's easy to confuse with the film. Yeah, not to be confused with the film. And, uh, of course, Firefly. Well, he was on Two Guys and a Girl. That was different. He, he, he wasn't was so a main fun. Character. He was my favorite person on that goddamn show. Because you were supposed to not like him at first, but he was so genuinely charming. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he's hanging out with the girl that they have the crush on. And, it's like, and she ends up marrying him. Yeah. And I just, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, right. Yeah. First time I ever saw Ryan Reynolds was yeah. that show. That was the first time I recall seeing Nathan Fillion and thinking... Yeah, I actually end up liking you because you are playing a character without guile, and that is always mm-hmm. interesting to me. You no, know, if they were going to do an Uncharted film, he's oh, he high should on be. the list. Well, he should be. I mean, he's already got the name. Yeah. Nathan Fillion, Nathan Drake. Not that big of a jump. Nope. But he could play that role so fucking well. Yeah, just wondering if he's in shape enough. But then he can get in shape, Oh, too, he could so. get in shape. Um, yeah. because Nathan Drake isn't like super young, yeah. you know, especially in the fourth game, he is very much seasoned by that time, but you know, young people don't get the kind of experience that Nathan Drake has even in the first game. Right. You know, he's been through stuff. So well, it's an Indiana Jones kind of knockoff kind of character. So yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, there are those aspects of it. I have difficulty pinning it down because it's it's a bit like Tomb Raider, but not <laughs> way more interesting than Tomb Raider. Not not since the reboot. The reboot has been very good for Tomb Raider. I don't know. It's just um, 
high adventure, and he would be perfect in it. Right. And everybody thinks so. <laughs> They've been saying it for years and years mm-hmm. since the games first started. And imagine voice work is certainly in his future. I mean, oh, it's his been, past. He's so. been doing a lot of voice work. Yeah. So everybody loves Nathan Fillion. Well, maybe not every single person. <laughs> yeah, imagine Stomach some people, comic. yeah, might be over him as well. I will never be over yeah. Nathan Fillion. Never. <laughs> never. So he's horrible. also one of the thrilling adventure people. He touched me. Yep. <laughs> Literally. Hectoy Jim. I have perf- I have picture proof. Yes. And his arms on me. He's third in. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. That was the most ridiculous response I ever had to a celebrity. Yeah. The Green. smile on your face is like you're about to break and go insane. But not just that. It's just that when, he's, when he looks at me and smiles and says hi. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so stupid. You're so attractive. <laughs> so stupid. I want to have your babies. Um, I can't have his babies. You know that. Yep. Um, but it's because you're a black widow. I am a black widow. <laughs> she just looked at me and <laughs> stuck her tongue out. Come here. Come here so I can chew your head off. No, 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 no. I bite your head bite, off. Bite. I don't chew it. I just bite it off in one go. Okay. I really do hope that someday Nathan Fillion comes back to Salt Lake Comic Con so that I can do the actual get him to autograph something and have a not stupid conversation <laughs> for a minute like I got to have with, with Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk? Yeah. And who I'm going to have with Sean Mayer. Yeah, Mar, collect them all. Excuse me, Speaking Mar. of Pokemon, you're doing that with the Firefly crew. Yep, uh, this will be five of nine. Yeah. And if uh, we can ever get Morena Bakarin here where she doesn't have to cancel. I imagine after Deadpool, she's like super duper in demand. I'm kind of feeling like one of the reasons she had to cancel one of the performances, or performances, one of the appearances she was scheduled for might have been because she got Deadpool. Um, ah. Might have been. Might have been. Because uh, it was like a couple of years ago, first time they announced her, and then she had to cancel. And then last year they announced her, and she had to cancel. She's very good in so, that role. She's very good in everything. She's well suited to her. Yeah, she's over that kind of baby fat face that she had. She was 19, no, no, she for was God's so sake. so young in Firefly and in uh, the Stargate. Yeah, but Atlantis, she was... was she in? Yeah, it was yeah. Atlantis. She has a maturity about her. Yes. That belied her age. Mm-hmm. And she has had that from the start, in my opinion. Well, yeah, that's what made her a good companion. Mm-hmm. She was young and beautiful, but had this experience about her. Yes, definitely. So farewell, Castle. I will miss Nathan Fillion, and I will miss those guys playing Ryan and Esposito. Yeah, Esposito I've seen in a few things. Ryan, I haven't seen him in as many things. Yeah. So I can see Esposito getting into film, because he's previously been in film. So Yeah. <sighs> It'd be nice just to have a Ryan and Esposito spinoff, but I don't think it would do well without I would watch Nathan it. Fillion. I would watch that show. You would watch that show? I would watch that show. Paget Brewster. <laughs> I love Paget Brewster. Another one of my favorite females of all time. Dinosaur. <laughs> Chupacabra. Sasquatch. <laughs> First base man. Second base man. Shortstop. <laughs> This is speaking of voice actresses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, folks, listen to Thrilling Adventure Hour and you'll understand all of this. Yes. (laughs) Okay, I think that's it. All right, do you want to dark track it? Do I want to dark track it? 
Do you want to dark do track it? Do I want to dark track it? That's what I'm asking. I fucking want to dark track it, Dave. All right, then let's dark track it. All right. The Eternal Fall is one dude. Okay. Who goes by the name Sol, as in, like, the, the sun. sun. And he's from Spain. España. But in live performances, he has a live bassist, Francisco Porcel. And he plays pretty much straight-up gothic rock. I mean, very atmospheric, very eerie, very dreary. I would never have guessed he was from España. España. Yeah, it's just a global phenomenon, the whole gothic rock post-punk thing. Yeah, well, it's not so much that I'm surprised, because no, no gothic rock in Spain. It was more that I, he just didn't sound like he was from Spain. Yeah, you get the impression he might have English as a second language, but you never know, because it's a very affected vocals. Yeah. And when you hear it, you can kind of see how there's often some confusion between goth and emo, because of the affectation of the vocals, you know, the emotional strain on the vocals, which in this case is very prevalent. I guess we can play it and talk about it afterwards. Righty-o. So this is the Eternal Fall with One More Time from Emptiness Volume 1 and 2.
So yeah, a lot of the hallmarks of a gothic post-punk song. Very snappy snare drum. Nice refrain on the keyboards. Pronounced bass line, as you might expect. And emotionally charged. A lot of emotion in those vocals. Very much so. Yeah, I could see that turning some people off, that it's a little too uh, strained, I guess, or too powerful emotionally. Do you have anything to say about the song? Uh, it reminded me very much of 80s gothic rock. 80s, 90s, like, um, Nosferatu a lot. Because the, the 90s, like, popularity had uh, declined somewhat, but they were still releasing stuff like that. So it's very much old school gothic rock. Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome to the JV Club. I am taking a break from the Burning Love related podcast this week because I've been traveling a bunch, as have my Burning Love castmates. Uh, but I am hoping to do more of those uh, as the weeks go on. But you know what? It's actually good because this gives me the opportunity to release an episode I've been sitting on for, if you can believe it, uh, over a year. Seriously, Janet, a year? Yes. Uh, it's one of the first episodes I recorded, and for some reason I haven't released it yet. Actually, if I'm being honest, the reason is that I got really self-conscious about all of the stuff that I apologize for with all my early episodes, the yes, the mm-hmms. I mean, really, even more of those than I do now, which is still a lot. Uh, we also talk about work slash Hollywood more than in my other episodes, but I just feel like it's time to get this episode out. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm afraid there are yet more Anne of Green Gables and goth references. Which, by the way, who knew a podcast would cover those two totally disparate things so incredibly often? To the point, to the point, to the point, point, point. Oh, did you start already? Sorry. We're at the point. Uh, uh, you I'm food prepared, drunk. unprepared? I'm prepared, but I am food drunk now. All I really want to do is just lay down and go to sleep. Just a fair point. I have been without air conditioning at my work for going on four weeks, and I'm getting cranky. <laughs> yes. Because it has been very hot here, because we live in a fucking desert. The point, we are... Talking about talking. air conditioning? No. Don't do this to me when I'm tired. <laughs> not when I'm food drunk. I'm not as fast as usual. Uh, okay. So. So. What are we talking about? Okay, yeah. So we're going to cover one of my heroes of all time. Probably my longest running real life hero. And that is the amazing, the talented Carol Burnett. Yay! Applause, 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 applause. Carol. She was born, now I'm not sure how to pronounce her middle name, which is her mother's maiden name. It's either Creighton or Crichton, but I'm not sure. Yeah. So she was born Karen Creighton or Crichton Burnett on April 26th, 1933. Yep. She does not act like she is 83 years old. She is considered an American actress, comedian, singer, and writer. Her career has spanned, oh, just six decades of... Mm television, you know. Most people, of course, know her from her long-running TV variety show, The Carol Burnett Show, which was on CBS. She has uh, achieved success on stage and television and film in varying genres, including drama and comedy. Yes. Honestly, if you can do comedy, you can do drama. Pretty much Comedy's anyone, harder. Pretty much can, anyone can do drama. Comedy. Now that takes... Comedy, you have to know the tone. Yeah. And you have to have timing. And, of course, she has appeared on various talk shows and as a panelist on game shows, which there are some really funny stories about that. She has a lot of... I think she has, like, two or three um, memoirs, one of which I've read, and it was wonderful and made me laugh and made me cry. Was it called One More Time? I don't remember. I would have to look at all of the ones that she's done to know for sure. 
She was born in San Antonio, Texas, the poor dear. <laughs> How she came to be so liberal, I can't tell you, being born in San Antonio, Texas. But she moved with her grandmother to Hollywood and attended Hollywood High School. Yes, there is a Hollywood High School, there or is. at least there was. And uh, eventually studied theater and musical comedy at UCLA. She would move to New York City and perform in nightclubs. And uh, she had a breakout success in, on Broadway in 1959 in Once Upon a Mattress. And she received a Tony Award nomination for that. And then made her television debut and began regularly appearing on The Gary Moore Show for the next three years. Unfamiliar. And that's where she came to really national attention. Ah. That was the, the beginning of her getting her own show. Wow. And she won her first Emmy in 1962, or said show. And in 1963, she was the star of the Dallas State Fair Musical's presentation of Calamity Jane. God, I wish I could have seen that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I could see her dominating in that role. Oh, absolutely. Because um, she can be very boisterous. Very. She is um, one of my all-time heroes forever and ever. Well, that's one of her comedy strengths is the physical comedy combined with just being loud and brash. Mm-hmm. But she can she can do it all. Oh yeah, she, she can, can do it all. There was this one episode of the Carol Burnett Show, which was on my compilation that had previously unreleased episodes, where it was like a James Bond sort of ripoff. Yes. Basically, she was the sex pot, right. and she was brilliant at it. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't doing it as dorky or anything like that. She was the sex pot. Well, she can do so. fragile really well too, because yeah. they do soap opera parodies mm -hmm. as the stomach turns yeah. yes she's very versatile she got known for certain things but she's way more versatile than yes that. after that she moved to los angeles and began an 11-year run as the star of the carol burnett show on cbs television from 1967 to 1978 Technically, that's 12 years. <laughs> start counting. Well, if you start um, in the middle of one and end in the yeah, middle of one, maybe. That's true. It could be argued that it's 11 years. There were 11 seasons, let's put it that way. It had vaudeville roots, of course, and it was a variety show that combined comedy sketches with song and dance. That's something that you don't get from the chopped up episodes. You'd right. You miss out on a lot of the musical guests. Same happens to Saturday Night Live. They cut the musical thing because mm -hmm. they don't want to pay royalties again. Yeah, it's it's a rights issue, I'm sure, which is why the network did that in the first place, because they wanted to syndicate this, but they didn't want to pay those royalties. Right. Cheapskates. So I don't even know if those episodes exist in their original form anymore. I have no idea. Yeah. Comedy sketches, of course, included film parodies and character pieces. Carol created many memorable characters during the show's run, and both she and the show won numerous Emmy and Golden Globe Awards. Yeah, almost annually. <laughs> yeah. Well, she won a lot of Emmys. Let's yep. just say she got a lot. She would need a bookcase for all her Emmys. Right. A couple of bookcases, probably. And during and after her variety show, she appeared in lots of television and film projects. Inclu and film roles, including in movies Pete and Tilly in 1972, The Four Seasons in 1981, Annie in 1982. She was Miss Hannigan. Yes. Uh, uh, another dominating that role. Yes. You know, you just picture that character and she comes to mind. Noises Off, the uh, screen adaptation of the uh, Broadway play in 1992, which I still have not seen all of. What I did see, I fucking loved every second of her. <laughs> Isn't it a sex comedy or something like that? No. Or no? Not, okay. Sort of, but not. All right. It's hard to explain. Yeah. Horton Hears a Who in 2008. On television, she has appeared in other sketch shows and in dramatic roles. 
six rooms real view. I have no idea what that is. 1974. Friendly Fire, 1979. She was on a few episodes of the new Hawaii Five-0 right. as uh, Steve's aunt. Yes. She was awesome. And in various well-regarded roles, such as in Mad About You, for which she won an Emmy. And specials, of course, with Julie Andrews, Dolly Parton, Beverly Sills, etc. Right. Um, she returned to Broadway in 1995 for Moon Over Buffalo for which she was again nominated for a Tony Award. Why can't you fucking give her one, Broadway? Come on. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe somebody was more popular. I don't know. Politics. Whatever. So let's talk about her early life, because she has had an interesting life. Yeah, I don't know about her biography all that much. I do. It has its ups and downs. Right. Uh, anyway, she was born as the daughter of Ina Louise Creighton, or Crichton, a publicity writer for movie studios, and Joseph Thomas Burnett, who was a movie theater manager. Both of her parents suffered from alcoholism. Yeah, so she was born into the industry with some of the downsides of the industry. But uh, her parents basically were incapable of taking care of her. And at mm. a young age, she was left with her grandmother, Mabel Eudora White, and her parents divorced in the late 1930s. And then she and her grandmother moved to an apartment near her mother, near Burnett's mother, in an impoverished area of Hollywood, California. And they stayed in a boarding house with uh, Carol's younger half-sister, Chrissy. There is a lot of sketch stuff in the early years of the Carol Burnett show that involve real-life situations that happened with her sister, Chrissy, living with her uh -huh. and her husband at the time. Of course, Vicki Lawrence playing the part of her sister. Anyway, when she was in second grade, she briefly invented an imaginary twin sister <laughs> uh, named Karen. There's an imaginative kid for you. Yeah, uh, she had Shirley Temple-like dimples. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, she was having enough fun with that that she wanted to further the pretense and recalled that she fooled the other boarders in the rooming house by frantically switching clothes and dashing in and out of the house by the fire escape in the front door. <laughs> and then she got... Physically exhausted by that, and Karen disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for a while, she worked as an usherette at what is now the Hollywood Pacific Theater, the forecount of which is now the location of her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. After graduating from Hollywood High in 1951, she received an anonymous envelope containing $50 for one year's tuition at UCLA. Can you imagine $50 for one year of tuition? That was 1951. Yeah. God, inflation. Inflation is insane. Ugh. And she initially planned on studying journalism. And during her first year of college, she switched her focus to theater arts and English with the goal of becoming a playwright. Oh, And having read uh, some of her books, she is a very good writer. She found that she had to take an acting course to enter the playwright program. Uh -huh. Oh, liberal education. Yeah. And she said, I wasn't really ready to do the acting thing, but I had no choice. She followed an impulse in her first performance. Quote, don't ask me why, but when we were in front of the audience, I suddenly decided I was going to stretch out all my words. And my first line came out, I'm back. <laughs> the audience response moved her deeply. Quote, they laughed and it felt great. All of a sudden, after so much coldness and emptiness in my life, I knew the sensation of all that warmth wrapping around me. I had always been a quiet, shy, sad sort of girl, and then everything changed for me. You spend the rest of your life hoping you'll hear a laugh that great again, end quote. Yep, she got the bug. Yep. And during that time, of course, she performed in several university productions, getting recognition for her comedic and musical abilities. 
Uh, her mother disapproved of her acting ambitions. Of course. Well, Mom, you're an alcoholic, and you gave me up so you don't get a say. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what I would have said, but, you know. And Carol says, she wanted me to be a writer. She said, you can always write, no matter what you look like. Oh. oh. When I was growing up, she told me to be a little lady, and a couple of times I got a whack for crossing my eyes or making funny faces. Of course, she never, I never, dreamed I would ever perform. She was always insecure about her looks, which, of course, uh was fueled by things that her mother would say, like, of you course. can always write no matter what you look like. In her memoir, One More Time, from 1986, she noted, God, that hurt. That is not the one I read. The one I read was more recent. Uh, during her senior year at UCLA, a professor invited her and some other students to perform at a party in place of their class final that had been canceled, <laughs> which required a performance in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, a man and his wife approached Burnett while she was stuffing cookies in her purse to take <laughs> home to her grandmother. <laughs> Instead of reprimanding her, the man complimented her performance and asked about her future plans. And when he learned that she wished to travel to New York in order to try her luck in musical comedy, but couldn't afford the trip, yep. uh, right then and there he offered her and her boyfriend, Don Soroyan, who later became her husband, at the time, each a $1,000 interest-free loan. His conditions were simply that the loans were to be repaid within five years and his name was never to be revealed. And if she achieved success, that she would help other aspiring talents to pursue their artistic dreams. Paying it forward. She took him up on his offer. She and Soroyan left college and moved to New York to pursue acting careers. And then that same year, uh, Carol's father died of causes related to his alcoholism. Mm -hmm. There's a story. I can't remember which tabloid was basically writing crap about her being an alcoholic. Uh-huh. She sued them and won. And that's tough. Yeah. To sue a tabloid and win. You know, if it was anything else, she would have let it go. But claiming she was an alcoholic after all she went through because of her parents being alcoholics. Yep. And being so firmly against drinking. Mm -hmm. She was absolutely livid that they'd have the nerve to call her an alcoholic. So, so don't fuck around with Carol Burnett. <laughs> well, redhead. Well, not not originally. <laughs> um, but Certainly the attitude hard. of one. Absolutely. She worked her first year in New York as a hat check girl and failed to land acting jobs. This is starting to sound like that Twilight Zone episode she was in. <laughs> She was in a Twilight Zone episode, wasn't yeah, she? where she couldn't keep a job because yeah. she well, was clumsy. A lot of her jobs, it's the path a lot of people take in show business, mm -hmm. working in a theater or a movie theater or, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. They're still in the industry, but in a service role. Yeah, which is difficult. She, along with the other girls living at the rehearsal club, which is a boarding house for women who were seriously pursuing an acting career, they all put on the rehearsal club review on March 3rd, 1955, mailed invitations to agents who showed up along with stars like Celeste Holm and Marlena Dietrich. Oh, wow. And this opened doors for several of the girls. Carol was cast in a minor role on the Paul Winchell and Jerry Mahoney show in 1955, and she played the girlfriend of a ventriloquist's dummy on the popular <laughs> children's program. <laughs> God, I love her. <laughs> I love her. This role led to her uh, starring role opposite Buddy Hackett in the short-lived sitcom Stanley from 1956 to 57. Wow. And in the 50s, a young Carol Burnett was working as an usher at 
when the theater was showing Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. Having already seen the film and loving it, she advised two patrons arriving during the last ten minutes of a showing to wait until the beginning of the next showing to avoid spoiling the ending for them. <laughs> the manager observed Burnett, let the couple in, then callously fired her, wow. stripping the epaulets from her uniform. Oh my God, it's just like <laughs> yeah, Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> What a fucker. Uh Later in the 1970s, after achieving TV stardom when the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce offered her a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, they asked her where she wanted it, and she replied right in front of where the old Warner Brothers Theater was, Hollywood and Wilcox, which is where it was placed, at 6439 Hollywood Boulevard, to say, hey, fucker. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, remember when you fired me? Guess what? After Stanley, Carol found herself unemployed for a short time and bounced back a few months later as a highly popular performer on the New York circuit of cabarets and nightclubs, most notably for a hit parody number called I Made a Fool of Myself over John Foster Dulles. Dulles was Secretary of the State at the time. Ah, so political humor that doesn't stay timely. In 1957, she performed this number on both The Tonight Show, which was at that time hosted by Jack Parr, and the Ed Sullivan Show, hosted by, oh, who was it? Um, um, uh, somebody. It was this, Elvis Presley. Yes, yes, yes. The Ed it Sullivan the Show, hosted uh, by uh, Elvis Presley. Yeah. That um, little puppet mouse. The, the puppet mouse. No, no, no. Lamb Chop. Lamb Chop hosted it. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm such a goofball. Dulles was asked about Carol Burnett on Meet the Press and joked, quote, I never discuss matters of the heart in public. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he had a good idea. Says the humor, so well done, you. Uh, she also worked as a regular on one of television's earliest game shows, Pantomime Quiz, hmm. uh, during this time. And uh-huh. in 1957, just as her she was achieving her first small successes, her mother died. Oh, Pantomime Quiz is like, what, they couldn't get the rights to Charade? Or Charade? You mean Charades? Yes. And of course, her first true taste of success came with the 1959's Broadway musical Once Upon a Mattress. Obviously, we talked about she was nominated for Tony for that. And that year, she became a regular player on the Gary Moore Show until 1962 and won an Emmy Award in 1962 for her outstanding performance in a variety or musical program or series. She portrayed a number of characters, most memorably the put-upon cleaning woman, Uh who would later become her signature alter ego. Wow. The cartoon version of her that Mm -hmm. appears at the end credits of the Carol Burnett Show. She actually does that character in the show from time to time. With the success on the Moore Show, she finally rose to headliner status and appeared in the special Julie and Carol at Carnegie Hall in 1962, co-starring her friend uh, Julie... Julie... Doesn't say right there? Andrews. That was it. Julie Andrews. See, I was thinking, it's got to be Julie Andrews. (laughs) So when you went sideways of that, it it must be a different Julie. No, Julie Andrews. Okay. Uh, It was produced by Bob Banner, directed by Joe Hamilton, and written by Mike Nichols and Ken Welch. And it won an Emmy for Outstanding Program Achievement in the Field of Music. So Hamilton gets another Emmy. (laughs) Oh, wait. They got the Tonys, didn't they? (laughs) Sorry, that was funny. Carol actually won an Emmy for her performance. She also guest starred on a number of shows during this time, including the Twilight Zone episode, Cavender is Coming. Nice. Which, uh, some people do not like that episode. I love it because it's Carol Burnett. Well, with her in the role, it must be one of the comedy episodes. Yes, it is. And the comedy usually doesn't work well on The Twilight Zone. It's true, but I still love it because it's her. And the funny thing is is that uh, 
her last name is actually used for one of the other girls with which she is try working at this theater. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that she's being told what to do. He only goes through it once and goes through it really fast. And it's very confusing. How would anyone be able to do that? Exactly. I mean, really? Yeah. And of course, she doesn't do it right and gets fired. And, you know, her guardian angel, who's on probation anyway, yep. <laughs> gets sent down and he uh, makes her life all perfect and she hates it. Because she doesn't get to see the people that she sees every day and she doesn't... Interesting, because they hit that theme about three times in the Twilight Zone mm -hmm. that I remember, is the the person makes your life perfect and you end up hating it. Because one of them is a version of hell. Well, the funny thing is, is that she didn't want him to make her life right. perfect at any point. Yeah. He just did it, assuming that that was what she wanted, even though she said, no, I'm fine. I don't uh -huh. need anything. Thanks. I'm fine. <laughs> in 1964, Carol starred in the Broadway musical Fade Out, Fade In, but was forced to withdraw after sustaining a neck injury in a taxi accident. Chiropractics, guys. Oh, it's New York City for you. Yeah. She returned to the show later, but withdrew again to participate in a variety show called The Entertainers, opposite Katerina Valente and Bob Newhart. Oh, I love boy, Bob she's Newhart. worked with luminaries. Everybody. Yeah, especially in comedy. Uh -huh. Comedy and musical theater. And uh, the producers of Fade Out, Fade In sued her for breach of contract after her absences from the popular show caused its failure, but the suit was later dropped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't try messing with Carol. You'll lose. Around that same time, she became good friends with Jim Neighbors, who was enjoying great success with his series Gomer Pyle, USMC. Yep, a singer in his own right. Amazing singer. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you can't believe that voice comes out of that face. Yeah. And as a result of their close friendship, she played a recurring role on Neighbor Show as a tough corporal and later gunnery sergeant. <laughs> oh, God, I wish I could see that. I don't even I think you could. could. It might that. be on YouTube. I don't know. We'll have to see. You know, track it down. And then she considered him a good luck charm. And so he would be the first guest she had on every season of The Carol Burnett Show. Because her, she had him on her very first episode of The Carol Burnett Show. A little bit of the superstition. That's also the ear thing. Uh, the ear thing is not a superstition. I know, but it's still, it's yeah. like anything that's ritual usually gets tied in with superstition, even if it's a signal to a loved one. But because he was on her first show and it was so successful immediately, yeah. she considered her him her good love charm. Uh, in 1966, I know this won't make you happy, Lucille Ball became a friend and mentor to her, and having guested on her highly su successful CBS TV special, Carol Plus Two, and having Carol reciprocate by appearing on The Lucy Show, um, Lucille Ball reportedly offered Carol her own sitcom called Here's Agnes to be produced by Desilu Productions. But Carol declined the offer, not wanting to commit herself to a weekly series. Uh, they remained close friends until Lucille Ball's death in 1989, and Lucille sent flowers every year on Carol's birthday. When Carol awoke on the day of her 56th birthday in 1989, she discovered via the morning news that Lucille Ball had died. Later that afternoon, flowers arrived at her house with a note reading, Happy birthday, kid. Love, Lucy. Wow. <laughs> no! <laughs> That'll tug at the heartstrings. Yep. And then in 1967, CBS offered to put Carol in a weekly comedy series called Here's Agnes, but she had a stipulation in her 10-year contract with CBS that said she had five years from the date the Gary Moore show ended to push the button, quote, end quote, on hosting 30 one-hour episodes of a music comedy variety show. And as a result, the hour-long Carol Burnett show was born, 
and debuted in September 1967. The show won 23 Emmy Awards. Sheesh. And was winning and or being nominated for multiple Emmy and Golden Globe Awards every season yeah. it was on the air. It's a good show. Uh, Still remains one of my favorite sketch comedy shows. It is probably my favorite, simply because I grew up with that. And yeah, it's it's strong, mm-hmm. and I like how it did like the West Coast and East Coast feeds. Mm-hmm. So you'd get different episodes. Yep, it was one of those things where I thought, "Hey, if she can be funny. Maybe I could be funny." Uh huh. And yet I didn't do anything about that until I was in my forties. What the hell? <laughs> Sorry, Carol, I've let you down. Well. <laughs> Some people have a late start. Yeah. Its ensemble cast, of course, included Tim Conway, who, as most people may not know, was only a guest player until the ninth season. Same thing happens with Steve Martin and Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. He was only a host. I never thought he was an actual yeah. cast member. And some people think he was a cast member, but he was never a cast member, only a host many, many times. I never thought he was a cast yeah, member. Yeah, me either. I did not know that... Uh, when I was young and watching these, you know, cut up reruns, I didn't know they were cut up that way. I had no idea that Tim Conway wasn't a regular from day one. Of course, Harvey Corman, God rest his soul, uh, Lyle Wagoner, and the very young Vicki Lawrence. Burnett actually discovered her and mentored her. And she's like, no, she could be, she looks like she could be my sister. We yeah. can work with this. CBS initially didn't want her to do a variety show <laughs> because they believed only men could be successful at variety. Bullshit. But Carol's contract required they give her one season of whatever kind of show she wanted to make. Mm-hmm. So she chose to carry on the tradition of past variety show successes. And her show was a true variety show. And, of course, immediately struck a chord with viewers. Uh, it parodied films like Went with the Wind <laughs> and television soap operas uh, as The Stomach Turns. And commercials. Oh, God, the commercials are hilarious. Yeah, commercials are great. I like their kung fu parody as well. Even even when you don't know exactly what they're pushing, it's funny. The the one that was for Parquet, I nearly laughed <laughs> myself silly on that one. It was just ridiculous. Uh, the Jaws parody has to be one of my favorite episodes when yep. they're hunting for a shark in a bathtub. Mm-hmm. Musical numbers were also a very frequent feature. She would have whatever the hottest... Rising stars were of the time. Oh, yeah. She fucking had Mama Cash. She could get the big names. They, of course, struck True Gold with their original sketch, The Family, which eventually became Mama's Family, mm-hmm. which I never watched the television series. Me either. I didn't even care for the sketch that much because it was too true to life. I liked it most of the time. Yeah. Um, I found it uncomfortable. But I didn't want to see that every week. Yes. I mean, it was well acted and well written and everything. It was mm-hmm. just that kind of cringe-worthy humor that I don't particularly care for. It made me think a lot of what my mother's mother generation of family was like in Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> she opened most of her shows with an impromptu question and answer session with the audience, where she demonstrated her ability to humorously ad lib and also or the Tarzan Yale. Yeah. She was obliged when asked to perform her trademark Tarzan yell, and she was always great at it. She ended each show by tugging on her left ear, which was a message to her grandmother. This was done to let her know that she was doing well and that she loved her. And during the show's run, her grandmother died. And on an intimate portrait episode on Carol, she tearfully recalled her grandmother's last moments. She said to my husband Joe from her hospital bed, Joe, you see that spider up there? 
There was no spider, but Joe said he did anyhow. She said, every few minutes, a big spider jumps on that little spider, and they go at it like rabbits. And then she died. (laughs) 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 There's laughter in everything. But Carol, of course, continued the tradition of tugging her ear. Uh, The Carol Burnett Show ceased production in 1978, Four postscript episodes were produced and aired on ABC during the summer of 1979 under the title Carol Burnett and Company, basically using the same format and with the exception of Harvey Corman and Lyle Wagner, the same supporting cast. Beginning in 1977, the comedy sketches of her series were edited into half-hour episodes entitled Carol Burnett and Friends, which for many years proved to be extremely popular in syndication. In January 2015, Carol Burnett and Friends began airing on MeTV. Of course... That's how I remember most of Carol Burnett's sketches was from the half-hour episodes. Oh, same here. Of which they seem to play the same ones a lot. And I just thought, really? There was 11 years of this, guys. Come on. Yeah. Come well, on. hopefully on MeTV they'd play a greater variety, but they might yeah. just play the, the favorites as well, you know? Well, I think it depends on rights and stuff like yeah. that. Of course, there were her film roles while she was doing the variety show. We talked about her being an Annie and Noises Off. She also returned in 2005 to star in a different role as Queen Agravain in the movie version of Once Upon a Mattress and guest starred in season two of Desperate Housewives as Bree's stepmother, Eleanor Mason. <laughs> she was the first celebrity to appear on Sesame Street. Really? On that series' first episode on November 10th, 1969. Wow! Pretty damn cool. That That's... Remarkable. Yeah. Uh, She made occasional returns to the stage in the 70s and 80s. She was at the Muni Theater in St. Louis, Missouri in I Do, I Do with Rock Hudson. Eleven years later, she took the supporting role of Carlotta Campion uh, in Stephen Sondheim's Follies, the 1985 concert performance. Made frequent appearances as a panelist on the game show Password. I have a funny story about that. An association that she maintained until the early 80s, and Mark Goodson actually awarded her his Silver Password All-Stars Award for Best Celebrity Player. And she's credited with coming up with the title Password Plus when it was originally planned to be titled Password 79. Uh-huh. She was playing Password with her average everyday Joe person contestant. And he was trying to get her to say the word tweet. Uh-huh. And you could use past tense of the word, as long as it didn't have all the same letters. Oh, my God. And so he said, twat. <laughs> I imagine she just looked at him like... Oh, they were dying. In the 80s and 90s, Carol made attempts at starting a new variety program. By then, everybody was kind of over variety shows, which is too bad. Yeah. Because uh, I think variety shows are magnificent. She also appeared briefly on Mama's Family as her character Eunice Higgins. Uh, she played the matriarch in the cult comedy miniseries Fresno. It was a parody of Falcon Crest. Oh, that's funny! <laughs> I want to see that. And, uh, of course, won an Emmy for Mad About You. And uh, returned to Broadway after 30 years for Moon Over Buffalo. And appeared in the Broadway Review, putting it together. Uh, she was a longtime fan of All My Children, a soap opera for people in the UK or other places outside of the US <laughs> who have no idea what that means. Yeah. Uh she uh Agnes Nixon 
created the role of Verla Grubbs for her in 1976, and she played the long-lost daughter of Langley Wallingford, causing trouble for her stepmother, Phoebe Tyler Wallingford, and made occasional appearances on the soap opera in each decade thereafter, hosted a 25th anniversary special about the show in 1995, and made a brief cameo appearance as Verla Grubbs on the January 5th, 2005 episode, which celebrated the show's 35th anniversary and reprised her role as Grubbs in September 2011 as part of the series finale. She had a guest appearance on Law & Order Special Victims Unit, for which she was nominated for the Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series. She- Law & Order has so many guest stars, it's ridiculous. Because the uh, Tonys made fun of that. All these great stage actors and their and Tony appearances. Yeah, but like they would appear as like five or six different characters in the run of the show. Yeah. In November 2010, she guest starred on an episode of Glee as the mother of Sue Sylvester. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I might have to find that on YouTube. That's the only episode of Glee I would sit through. Sorry, I don't like Glee. Yeah, we tried a couple tried. episodes and just didn't. It didn't gel. No. She made a recurring role traditionally on Thanksgiving-themed episodes of Hawaii Five-O with Steve McGarrett's Aunt Debbie since 2013. But the first time she appeared on that, we found out that she had cancer. Mm. And uh, that character passed away from cancer in the January 15, 2016 episode. Carol has had three husbands. (laughs) Show business is not easy on a marriage. She's had a 60-year career. Yeah. So that's a husband for every 20 years of a career. Mm Mm-hmm. That's reasonable. Yes. So, uh, of course, we know she married her college sweetheart, Don Saroyan. Uh, they married on December 15th, 1955, and divorced in 1962. And then on May 4th, 1963, Carol married TV producer Joe Hamilton, a divorced father of eight. Holy crap. Who had produced her 1962 Carnegie Hall concert and would produce the Carol Burnett Show, among other projects. And they had three daughters. They had Carrie Hamilton, who was born December 5th, 1963, and sadly died at the age of 38 in 2002 of lung and brain cancer. And she was an actress and a singer. She has two other daughters, Jody Hamilton, born January 18th, 1967, and Erin Hamilton, born August 14th, 1968. And she is a singer. Her marriage with Joe ended in divorce in 1984, and he died of cancer in 1991. So, Fuck you, cancer. Mm-hmm. On November 24th, 2001, Carol married Brian Miller, a principal drummer in and contractor of the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra, huh. who is 23 years younger than her. You go, girl. Wow. They're still married. She is good friends, of course, with Julie Andrews, Betty White, Jim Neighbors, and the late Beverly Sills, and Lucia Ball. She still has a close friendship with Vicki Lawrence. In 1981, actress Carol Burnett won a judgment against the Inquirer. After it claimed she had been seen drunk in public. Drunk in public. Ron White. (laughs) At a restaurant with Henry Kissinger in attendance. The fact that both of her parents suffered from alcoholism made this a particularly sensitive issue to her. And former longtime chief editor Ian Calder in his book The Untold Story asserted that afterwards, while under his leadership, the Inquirer worked hard to check the reliability of its facts and sources. (laughs) Sure they have. Carol and her daughter, Carrie co-wrote a play called Hollywood Arms based on Carol's best-selling memoir, One More Time, from 1986. Sarah Nimitz and Donalyn Champlin shared the role of Helen, which is Carol's role, 
and Michelle Pock played Louise, Helen's mother, and Linda Lavin played Helen's grandmother. And for her performance, Michelle Pock received the 2003 Tony Award for Best Performance by a Featured Actress in a Play. Wow. And in 2010, this is the one I read, uh, Carol Burnett wrote the memoir, This Time Together. That's yeah. the one I read. In that one, she talks about getting a chin implant. She was always very self-conscious because she had, you know, huge forehead and almost no chin. And now and, her chin is like her most recognizable feature, I mm -hmm. think. Oh, absolutely. Yes, it, it may seem vain to some people, but she really had very little chin. And she was so self-conscious about that. Because especially in profile, it just she just did not like the way it looked. And she felt that it distracted people from, you know, her talent. And so she had an implant done. Mm -hmm. And uh, she she's never regretted it. And why should she? I know Dolly Parton's had a lot of plastic surgery and is very positive about that. You know, is it vain? But no, it's about your own body image and the body you feel comfortable with. And if, mm -hmm. you know, you want more up front or if you want a chin or if you want, you know, your crow's feet removed or whatever. Especially since she had an overbite when yeah. she was growing up. Oh, I know what that's like. Hers probably wasn't as bad as mine was, but to have that overbite and have the no chin, she felt she just looked like a hick, basically. Not her words. Yeah, if you have a deviated septum or something, then plastic surgery seems like just a reasonable thing. So it's like, where do you draw the line? You mm -hmm. know? If you have a weak-looking chin, why not get a chin implant if you can afford it and it's going to help your career? Absolutely. And just make you feel more confident. I don't have an issue with that. You know, she already had enough of an issue with her appearance because of things that her mother said. Of course. Mothers, get a fucking clue. Do not... Talk to your daughters about their appearance. Just don't. Don't make that a part of their upbringing. Talk to them about other things, like what their interests are. Yeah. Don't make them ashamed of their bodies. Don't make them obsessed with their bodies. It begins with you, parents. And also just the clean your whole plate thing Ugh. and how dangerous that is. Absolutely. You should eat until you're full. And that's and stop. that. Mm -hmm. But if you're required to finish off your whole plate, that leads to overeating. Mm-hmm. Crazy. I love Carol Burnett. She received the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2005. Wow. Of course, I'm sure everyone remembers me talking about when she was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, when uh, the previously unreleased episodes of The Carol Burnett Show became available. Yes. I immediately bought those. Of, of course you did. I still haven't watched the last disc. Because you don't want it to end. Yeah. Well, then you just start over. I know, I know, but this is the last things of hers that I will see that I've never seen. YouTube. I know, but <laughs> but I mean seriously, because I've I've seen most of the other stuff. Yeah. You know, granted, without the musical. I bet you can stuff. see those Gomer Pyle clips. I'll say, I'll have to see. I'll have to see if I can find those. And speaking of things we talked about before relating to Carol Burnett, it was my first realization of my own mortality oh, watching yes. a Carol Burnett episode. And I believe in the episode she was a baseball player, some kind of athlete. Mm -hmm. And she got an injury and was laid up in hospital. And she was listening to the radio broadcast that kept updating her health conditions. <laughs> Except the radio was ahead of her, and so she'd get increasingly worse, but they'd be in advance of her to the point she died, and I realized death was a thing, and I cried like crazy, because I realized, oh, I'm going to die. Everybody I know is eventually going to die. And it's weird that this beloved sketch comedy program 
would affect me in that kind of weird way. I don't remember a time where I wasn't aware of my own mortality. Yeah. And it just hit me really hard, like, oh, I'm mortal. That's, this isn't going to last forever. I'm sorry about that. I don't remember having that moment, and I'm, yeah, I either didn't have that moment or I don't remember it. Either way, I'm fine with that. Because to have that kind of realization would be horrifying. <laughs> that existential crisis? Yeah. I, I wish I could relate to that, but I can't because I, I don't remember. Probably four or five years old? Yeah. I don't remember a time where I didn't know yeah. about death. Because I don't remember losing a pet or anything like that. So We didn't have pets. Yeah. I had no frame of reference for it. But yeah. I still remember always, I, I don't remember a time of before not knowing about death. Right. One of those things where I've always known about death. Yes. Maybe it was because I almost died when I was a year and a half old. That's true. Maybe that was it. But I don't remember thinking, oh my God, I'm mortal. <laughs> I just... It was just it always was there. Always there. Hmm. Anyway, uh, Carol Burnett, still kicking ass. I'm sure that there's a million more things that I could discuss about her. We covered a lot. There's a lot of material to cover, and I think you yeah. hit on most of it. I need to read the other memoir. The One More Time? This Time Together was really touching, and she talks about her daughter's death and many other things. Just It was it was more reminiscing about her life Yeah. Uh, while these very public things were going on, the television show and whatnot. Just really, really touching and interesting. And I respect her a great deal. She is my number one comedy hero. Top of the list. always will be. That's a tough thing to choose because it's like, is it lifetime or is it recent? For you, it's lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's like thinking back over the ages, comedy hero. Because a lot of what informed my comedy was Benny Hill. And I know that's a weird thing Not to reference. Really. Cause I don't think so. I, I, don't I think, think it especially is. in Britain because he's so... I mean, alternative comedy became a really big thing. And then you had what... Monty Python was doing while Benny Hill was so vaudeville. But there's something classic about that, you know? And I think you're just, supposed to say it, Python. Python. His poems, his songs, his parodies. Mm-hmm. I just enjoyed the guy, and he just had this charm about him. And was very different than his on-screen persona. Mm-hmm. And I think that plagued him for the rest of his life, you know, thinking he was a womanizer when he really wasn't. He wasn't. I was not allowed to watch Benny Hill. Yeah, I think Benny Hill might be a hero. Yeah. His color, just my sense of comedy. Yeah, I was not allowed to watch that. Which is funny, because my very uptight grandmother, who thought Star Trek was evil, watched Benny Hill. And that's, it's risque stuff. And she would not let us watch it. Yeah, women Uh, running around in their corsets. and Yeah, I was like, okay, you will watch that, but I can't watch Star Trek? What the hell? There's just a great image of him as an old man in this wheelchair, and there's a braless woman next to him. Who's a reporter and she has press, like a press button on her boob. <laughs> and he's just kind of sideways looking at her. It's a great image. It's that kind of body humor. But it's all in good fun. I think yeah. you know, people, you know, when you're in this post-feminist world looking at that and it's like, well, you can have fun with, you know, the sexuality. I think one of my favorite sketches was... The one where they're in the hospital, where there should be a lot of sexual innuendo, and yet they never go there. I think I know the one you're talking about. And it's he hilarious. kept slapping the bald guy on the head uh-huh. and patting him around. It was hilarious yeah. because you're you're waiting for it. You think you know it's coming. Oh. <laughs> okay. Wow, they didn't go the sexual route with that. Hmm. Yep. And, and that was where the humor like, was set like, up. a weird like dance number, like the Busby Berkeley thing. Is that the right name? 
have the director that would put the camera over the number when, you know, like mm-hmm. divers and, and it would be with people in gurneys <laughs> and they'd rotate them to the music that's coming over the radio. And that, I think that was basically the game of the sketch was mm-hmm. that the music on the radio, everybody would do something in rhythm to that in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And it was just really fun. I think that's probably one of my biggest comedy heroes. If you talk about lifetime. And I, unfortunately, did not get to experience that until I was married to you. Yeah, it makes me think I should go back and watch my uh, DVDs I picked up. Because he even does a parody of the Eurovision contest. Yes! I remember that! And it comes out as different singers from different countries. Mm-hmm. It's like this Spanish uh, thing when he's playing the guitar. That was that was amazing. I loved that. And he steps on a stool and his foot goes right through it. <laughs> Great physical humor. Good times. Shout-outs? Shout-outs. Hey! My shout-out is to our Lord and Master, Mr. Tom Elliott. It has been his birthday recently. Indeed. And there's been a recent Strange and Deadly. Yes. So it's always great when one of those makes its way onto the gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com website. And he's been keeping up with the Twilight Zone podcast as well. I really like how he started the newest Twilight Zone podcast, uh, paying a little homage to the episode itself with uh, making it sound like he's tuning into different radio stations. Yeah, and But using other yeah. using stuff from other Twilight Zone podcasts. Yeah, the Twilight Pone. Yep, and, and Twilight Zone Club. Yeah, which was like the first Twilight Zone podcast, but very short It only short-lived. went like three episodes. Yeah. And- oh, uh Another Twilight Zone podcast followed me on Twitter, so it might be through our connection to the Twilight Zone podcast where they'd follow me, because I can't think of another reason yeah. why. It's like, oh, it must be through Tom and through the website, you know, gentlemansgrandhouserecords.com, that yes. they'd connect with me. So, yes. Yep. Happy birthday, Tom. Yes, happy birthday, and uh, you're awesome. Yeah, they had a really great Strange and Deadly, because a lot of the previous movies, they were all very rapey. Very all- rapey. These exploitation films. Really have a problem and with those. And so the recent Mad Scientist ones, not so rapey. In fact, not rapey at all. Yay, so, because I am really getting tired of the objectification of women ones. Yes, yeah, this one's Mad Scientists and Mad Doctors, so it's a good double bill. And it was you could tell with them they were relieved they didn't have to discuss rape. Yeah. It's like, oh, thank goodness. Well, at what point do you start to just go... And become desensitized to it, which yeah. should never happen. No, it shouldn't. So it's so. nice to get into a... I know it's weird to have, like, eye violence be a lighter-themed... <laughs> God, I hate eye violence so much! Oh, God! Yep. Oh, God, I hate eye violence! Doctor oh. trying to cure his daughter's blindness. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I hate eye violence a lot. Yep. I don't even want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, I think, the better of the two films from a lot of the opinions. Better being relative. Feedback. Yeah. <laughs> no, they they seem to enjoy it, but not to the point they don't it. So, yeah. It's yeah, like, relative. Yeah, I really like that. I'm going to sell it on eBay. <laughs> yeah. I really liked that for a crap movie. Yeah, for a Section 3 mm-hmm. movie, because that's what they do. They do the Section 3 films off the uh, Video Nasties and list. It's interesting, the wide range of genres are part of that Yeah, list. some of it is almost like it's just the name of the movie. It's like, yeah. that was really tame. It was mm-hmm. only, like, the name of the movie that got it banned. And then there's things like The Thing, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, so good. Such a great movie. 
Such a great movie! <laughs> it's yeah. good to watch during summer because it'll cool you down. Yeah, until they have that great big fireball. Mm. And, and nearly and burn blow. the set down yeah. in, in, real in real life. life. <laughs> when they're blowing up the alien ship. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wow, that really cut fire. Uh, guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, spoiler alert. They blow up the alien ship. <laughs> if you haven't seen the thing by now, I'm sorry, you've had 35 years. And I love that it's a nod to the original film because it's very flying saucer shape. Well, to be fair, it is when it's building a new one, it is the same. Yeah. Same shape. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Great movie. Your shout out. My shout out is to Mr. Calvin Dittmore. Yeah, he's back in town. He is back in town, and we are happy to have him back. Yep. Our usual improv coach instructor thing. Yes. Instructor, I guess you'd call it. Workshop instructor. Yes. Um, Well, they do trade off. Yeah, because Chris will do something, Calvin will do something, Chelsea will do something. I have missed Calvin. He is one of my favorite people. I remember the first time I ever saw him do improv, which was, what, two years ago? Yeah, yeah two he was years ago. guesting with Off the Wall and just killing it. I think the first time we saw him was actually with Sasquatch oh, was Cowboy. It? Okay. Because it, I remember clearly that we were in the loft. Right. And that he did a three-man after that with, was it Joe and Aiden? I can't remember now. It was ah, definitely Joe. Yes. yes, and he did the whole soap opera thing. Yeah. Right. And had me laughing so hard. That I had an asthma attack. And because I was the only one in the audience that was getting his Days of Our Lives references. Right, because I wasn't running tech. No, it was before we did that. Yeah. It was before wow. we were doing that. So My drink is empty. And mine is nearly empty. But yeah, um, Calvin is one of the most talented improvisers I've ever seen. Yes. And just a really great hum- human being. Well, he's performed with Io West in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And he's performed in Chicago. So he's he's got the chops to perform in the bigger cities. It's just finding a job is the tough bit. Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's ridiculous. And today's economy, too. It's difficult for anybody to lock down a job. Because they want you to have a college degree. They don't care what it's in. You could be applying for a job to wait tables, and they will want you to have a college degree. And as much as Illinois is suffering, just in the market, to turn down any kind of talent like that just because of a degree is ridiculous. Yeah. Because he's a a hard and dedicated worker, so... Hmm. Yeah, a college degree only really means, in the great scheme of things, all that it means is that you had the patience to sit through a bunch of classes that you didn't need and pay a lot of money for that degree that should have taken you two years. (laughs) Yeah, you can afford to buy a degree and you can bullshit yourself enough to pass a class. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's what a college diploma generally proves. Yeah, pretty much. Now, if you go on to be a, to get a master's degree, that's when it gets serious. Yeah, if you get postgraduate stuff. Yeah, then when you that's start doing postgraduate story. stuff. But a bachelor's not is like unless you're a bachelor's with honors, mm-hmm. doesn't really say much. I don't think. You know, and I'm not belittling people's achievements for yeah, I have a getting their degree. degrees. And I don't I, want people to think that, but came pretty close to with honors. To, to use that as a way to turn people away from jobs, regardless of their qualifications, yep. mm-hmm. really irritates me. Yeah. I shouldn't stand in the way of a job. No. Especially when tuition is just out of this world expensive. That sometimes you're better off getting a, like a technical school or something, you know? Yeah, you cannot 
get into UCLA for $50 a year anymore. <laughs> no, you cannot. And what a callback. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. And scene. And scene. I was going to call back to something. Did I? I can't even remember. Uh, ooh. I don't remember what I was referencing to call oh. back to. Good gracious. I don't remember either. And I'm yeah. really upset with myself because I thought, yeah, that'll be great to call back to later. And gone. 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 The mystery. It went with the wind. Well, I'll probably find out <laughs> when I edit. <laughs> and then if I have the foresight to remember... I will uh, put it in the next podcast, which we already have a topic planned. Yes, we do. So that's unusual for us. And we have one for the show after, which will be our anniversary show. Yes. Actually, it's a little more than our anniversary, but it will be our seventh year in podcasting. More. 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 I don't know more. what I'm doing. <laughs> It's a vocal exercise. More. 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 Yeah. Okay. So I want you all to know that I was in a terrible mood when we started this podcast, but you all cheered me up. So well yeah. done you. Talking to our listeners and yeah. talking about your hero. Yes, that is always going to cheer me up. Yeah. And also getting fed in the interim. Yes. Feeding is also good. Food is good. Feed me, Seymour. Mm-mm. Good. Mm-mm. Good. Soup is good food, makes a good meal, so how does it feel to be out on your ass? What? Sorry, I'm trying to remember the lyrics to uh, to this Dead Kennedy song. Right. I used to know them better than that when I was into punk rock. My problem with soup is that I process liquids so quickly that... It just goes right through you? Like it, a sluice? I'm a sluice. My You're kidneys sluice? are like a sluice. Like a canal. They're, they're like a sluice and... The, this cold, very efficient, the very uh, excellent kidney yep. function, me. Um, you know what that means in real English? I have to pee all the fucking time. Yeah, you do. <sighs> I can't sleep through the night without getting up to pee. How do you think that is? Speaking it's not of, fun. I think I've got the urge myself. Well, you know I do. Yep. I, can't, so, I can't. I can barely sit through a movie without peeing. We should probably stop so we can go relieve ourselves. Relieve. Release! It's like Renew, but, you know, oh. Logan's Run. Oh, yeah, you watched Logan's Run recently. Release! With the Sandman. Release! All the cats. I love that movie. Yes, and Box, the robot that freezes people. Yes. There is no sanctuary. There is no sanctuary. Remember when Alan and I would do that? <laughs> Alan does it so well because, yeah, Alan had a birthday recently, in fact, two days ago, yeah. and he sent me a message for thanking me for remembering his birthday. Of course I can remember your birthday. Nice. I love you, Alan. You're the best. Oh, Facebook helps. It's like, oh, it's this person's birthday. Yes. Oh, thank he, you, Facebook. He, he is so not into Facebook, he doesn't even have a profile picture. I wonder if he's still using his Commodore 64. No, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't a Commodore 64, know. but it was a really old computer. Yes. Uh, the last time I was at his <laughs> house, but that was some time ago. It's a Macintosh Apple II or something. Oh, no, it was worse than that. It was Windows. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay, stop it. We are stopping. We are stopping now. Goodbye, all. Bye. Gentlemen's Records.com
This cat will not leave you alone. Yeah, I have a Velcro cat. I brushed him, and now he's very lovey on me. <laughs> he just will not leave me alone. He wants to get fur all over me. Yep. He's purring up a storm, wagging his little tail, because he's a puppy. He is a puppy. He's a puppy cat. Don't glare at me. <laughs> he glared at you? He's looking at me like... Anyway, so yeah. Uh, Hand me the scissors. Uh, Kitty, have something you need to cut? Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> there goes the microphone almost. Dave will edit that out, don't worry. Or put it at the end. Was that a little mat that you had there? Yep. He had quite the knot. It was all matted together. You're fine. Shall we get to the point? No. Shall we eat? Yes. And she, of course, had a cat that liked to knock things over. <laughs> no. Um... I mean, the, the uh, 